few weeks ago, I preached a message on what happens at salvation, all of the different things that happen to someone when they're saved. And since then, I've come across something that I, mi- I, I missed one. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to preach on that today. So I missed one, and that one may take a while to get through, so it's not going to be as short. may not be that short. So, <laughs> um, so to start with, uh, we have the fact that God is a trinity, right? So we have the best verse to support that in the Bible is 1 John 5, 7, right? For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. So we have the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's that's God is made up of, of three, but he's also one. So he's one person made up of three components, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And if we, if we look back in... Genesis chapter 1, first, in the first three verses of the Bible, we, even, we see the Trinity being mentioned in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, where we have, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's God the Father. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So we have there the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And then verse 3, it says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. So, the, And that God saying, Let there be light, that's the Word. right? That's the second part of the Trinity, the Word. Uh, it's a, and we know from um, that uh, in John 1, where it says, all, all things were created by him and not anything that was made that was, was not made without him, right? So the word created all things. So God the Father spoke the word and the word brought things into existence and the Holy Spirit was on the face of the waters, right? So we've got the Trinity in the first three verses of the Bible there. So similar to that, now we have the fact that in Genesis 1, 26, when God created man, man was created in God's image, right? So God said, or, uh, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So we have man being formed in God's image. Um, but it, now if we skip forward a little bit to Genesis 5. In Genesis 5, it uh, sort of starts, it restates some, that in Genesis 5. So we start in Genesis 5 verse 1 says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him, male and female created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. And Adam, so, so verse 2, male and female created he him, is very similar to verse in chapter 1 there. 
notice it says he called their name Adam, not his name Adam. He called, because the word Adam in Hebrew actually means like the human race. It's not just one person. It's, he, it created, he called their name Adam. So the name Adam, even though like Adam the person also was named Adam, the human race is called Adam as well in Hebrew, right? So he created, he called their name Adam. Um, so now if we go to verse 3 there, it says, And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. So we have there also, Adam created, a, begat a son in his own likeness. So not only are we made in the likeness of God, we're also made in the likeness of Adam as well. Um, and that... that um, is sort of referred to because when they when they ate of the tree of the fruit of the of knowledge of good and evil, and they had and they fell from grace. They fell, mankind fell, and the curse went out to all mankind. Well, in Romans five, it says I'm going to go to Romans five now. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So Adam brought sin into the world because of his disobedience to God. Sin came into the world, and all mankind is condemned because of that. And we see a direct statement in John chapter 3, verse 18. 3.18 says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So by default, everybody is condemned at birth, right? Because of Adam's transgression, that curse passed to all of mankind. And so we're created in Adam's image as well as God's image, right? So that we're going to come back to that later. But uh, similar to God's image, man is also a trinity. And we're going to see that in 1 Thessalonians. The best, the best verse to, to uh, back that up is 1 Thessalonians 5.23. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here we have the spirit, the soul, and the body being mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Man is a trinity made up of body, soul, and spirit similar to how God is a trinity made up of, and if we want to take that, and in fact, body, soul, and spirit is a very, uh, probably the best analogy for the trinity that I've heard, right? So God the Father would be like the soul. Uh, the Word is like the body because the Word became flesh and, and lived among us. So the Word is God's body, and the Holy Spirit is God's spirit. So, God's a, a, so man is also a trinity with body, soul, and spirit as well because we're created in God's image. So we're going to go through those components of, of, of man. Uh, if we go back to Genesis 3, 
Genesis 3:19. And this is God telling, um, you know, the, telling the uh, Adam the curse, part of the curse. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. So that's talking about the, the body. Our body is from the ground, and when we die, our body goes back to the to the ground. It ends up turning into dust eventually. You know, if you if you're lying in the grave long enough, it just goes back to dust. So that's the body. And if we go to Genesis 6, verse 3, it says, "And Adam lived 130 years." No, that's not the one. 6:3, and the Lord said. My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. So we're also flesh, so the body is, is our flesh. Um, I don't... Okay, so now I'm going to go to the soul, Genesis 2. Go to Genesis 2. Genesis 2, verse 7 says... And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So that last part, man became a living soul. It, it's not that we have a soul, it's that we are a soul. Our body, soul, and spirit is our, is the, it's saying that man is a soul. It's not saying that we have a soul. Um, there, there is a, We'll get to that later. We know that when someone dies, their soul either goes to heaven or hell. But the Bible here in the Old Testament is saying the man is a soul as well. So there's something going on there that maybe we don't, I didn't understand before, before I recently learned of this, um, this concept uh, that I'm going to get to later. Uh, so in Leviticus 22... There's another mention of the soul there. Leviticus 22. Uh, Leviticus 22. Where is it? Verse 6 says, The soul which hath touched any such shall be unclean until even, and shall not eat of the holy things unless he wash his flesh with water. So it's calling the soul, saying the soul has flesh, right? So it's not that we have a soul, it is that we are a soul, basically. And um, now let me just look here uh, for a second here at Matthew 10. 10.28 It says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So God there, he does send people to hell if they don't believe on him. If they don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, people do end up in hell. And it says he has the power to destroy both soul and body in hell. So there's a concept there of the soul and the body are sort of fused together there. Uh, it's, it's, they're not separate. It, it, you know, and in Genesis saying that we are a soul, and in Leviticus, and if you look at the word soul throughout a lot of uh, places in the Old Testament, 
it does seem to say that it's the soul is the per the whole you are the soul it's not like you have a, a separate soul from your body like it's all part of one thing right like just like a, the trinity is one well man is a trinity but we're also one as well body soul and spirit makes up one being right so um but there is also we do have like there is that what happens when someone dies right and, and we, if we go to genesis 35 Genesis 35 says, and this is about Rachel in labor, had hard labor, verse 17, and it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is Beth Bethlehem. So when she died, her soul was departed her body. So when you die, your soul does depart your body, right? So I'm not, we're not denying that. But while you're alive, you are a soul. You're you're you're, you're like one one being, right? So so Genesis 49. Go to Genesis 49, 33 says, Genesis 49:33 it says, And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. So in that verse, you're, again, he's yielding up the ghost. So that's your soul leaving your body. And it says he was gathered unto his people. And that's talking about he's going to heaven, right? So he went to heaven there. He was gathered up unto his people uh, when he yielded up the ghost. So that's consistent with when a saved person dies, you know, absent in the body, present with the Lord. It's, the, it's instant. You're, you go to heaven right away um, if you're saved, right? And Jacob was saved. And... Um, and we also have um, some people think that the soul is sort of like inside your your head, sort of like where your brain is. But th the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't say that at all. As the Bible says, we are a soul, not just that we have a soul. Uh, it also agrees with that in Revelation 6. If we go to Revelation 6, verse 9. It says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a, a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And verse 11, And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season, until their fellow servants also and their brethren should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. So the soul has a white robe. There's wearing a white robe. So it's not like the soul is some disembodied, uh, you know, a, a, like a, a little star-like thing or something like that or something, you know. It's sort of saying that it has some sort of a bodily shape, right? And then if we go to Revelation 20, verse 4, Revelation 24 says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, 
and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So at the beginning of that verse it says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. That is the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. So they're able to sit on thrones as well. So it's not like it's some it's like they have a bodily shape, right? And again, if you go to the the chapter on hell, which is Luke 16, we can see something in there as well. In Luke 16, Luke Luke 16 with the rich man and Lazarus he says, when after the, the rich man dies and was buried, in verse 23 it says, In hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. So here's the rich man in hell. That's his, his soul went to hell. He has eyes that he can see. He has a tongue as well, it mentions. He has a bodily shape, right? So the soul has like a bodily shape, right? And it's sort of like if you ever heard of someone who lost their limbs, right? If someone who lost their arm or their leg, you know, if you've heard of this phantom limb syndrome, where they can still feel that they, they can still feel that they have an arm there, even though they don't anymore. They call it phantom limb syndrome. Well, I believe it's because your soul has a bodily shape that if you lose one of your limbs, you're still going to feel it because the soul is still there in that shape. You don't see it, but it's there, right? So we we feel it, right? As that uh, sort of phantom limb syndrome fits in with that whole thing where the soul has a bodily shape. Now we're gonna. I'm gonna look at the, the the spirit now. If we go back to Genesis 2, back to Genesis 2:17, uh, verse 7, Genesis 2:7. Again, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So that that's that's the spirit there, the breath of life. God has breathed into us. That's the spirit. That's talking about a spirit, right? Um, and let's go to Ecclesiastes 3. So the spirit is like God's breath, right? It keeps us alive. And if we go to Ecclesiastes 3, verse 21. Ecclesiastes 3. I'll start in verse 20. All go unto one place. All are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. So that's the body. Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth? So we have there the spirit of man talking there. It's talking about the spi our spirit, the spirit of man that goes upward, and the spirit of the beast that goes downward. So there's the spirit of the man, there's the spirit of a beast, and there's the Spirit of God, which we saw in Genesis 1. Um, so we have the Spirit of man. The Spirit of man is what we have when we're born. Um, unfortunately, it says the Spirit of beast goes downward. 
So uh, it seems to indicate that your pets do not go to heaven. <laughs> um, yeah, we don't know for sure. Maybe we, maybe there's hope for them, but it seems to be mentioning that there, that they go down, they go down, they don't go up. All right, so, so that's the mention of the Spirit. And then in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7 says, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit <clears throat> shall return unto God who gave it. So that's talking about the body going back to the earth. And then the spirit, our spirit, shall return unto God who gave it. So that's where the spirit goes when you die. Your soul either goes to heaven or hell. So those are the three components, body, soul, and spirit. And let's see, John. And the spirit is likened unto air, like breath, right? So again, we see that in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 8. Just after Jesus said, Ye must be born again, it says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. So it's likening the Spirit. Uh, that you're reborn, your, your actual reborn spirit, as it's likening it to wind there. So it's comparing it to wind because it's like the breath of God is what it's, it is. Uh, so let me go now to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians 2.11 says, for what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. So the spirit of man is mentioned there, and the spirit of God is in there. It's basically telling you, if you don't have the spirit of God in you, you can't understand, you can't know the things of God, right? Only those who are born again can fully understand the Bible is what it's, is what it's saying there. So when you're born, you have the spirit of man. And when you're born again, you get the spirit of God. Right? So that's... So the spirit of man, it's dead. It's like we're, it's born dead because of Adam. It's transgression. So because of that curse, our, the spirit of man is born. It's a dead spirit. Right? So let, let me go to Jeremiah 17. To look at that, Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So that's, a, that's the heart of man. That's like our dead spirit. It's like the sin nature. It's talking about the sin nature of man there because... As Romans 5:12, as we looked at before, whereas one man by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And of course, in Romans 3, it says, "For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that doeth good. They have all gone out of the way." It, and it keeps going, and it's because of the sin nature. Our, it's our dead human spirit, the spirit of man. And let me go now to Ephesians 2, chapter 1, or verse 1. Ephesians 2. Verse 
Ephesians 2, verse 1 says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. So that's telling us that when you're born, you're dead in, in trespasses and sins. Now, I believe that babies go to heaven if they die. But once you're of age and once you're able to understand good between good and evil, um, you're dead in your trespasses and sins at that point because you've inherited the spirit, that spirit of man that's dead. You are dead in trespasses and sins. So man is born, he's born, he doesn't realize it, but he's already dead, right? He's condemned already, according to John 3.18. We're condemned already because we have not believed on, on Jesus Christ. Right, because you need to be you need to be born again. You can't enter heaven with a dead spirit, right? That's why you need God's spirit. Um, so now I'm going to go. <clears throat> so this dead spirit, <clears throat> and because it's we're one thing, we're like the body, soul, and spirit are all one. They're sort of fused together. When you're born, you've got this body, soul, and spirit. They're fused together, and they an unsaved person cannot overcome the flesh right they cannot they can't they couldn't stop sinning if they tried right it's that sin nature you cannot be overcome by an unsaved person um, because their it's their spirit is fused to their body like there's no and now I'm, I'm going to come to the point that was just the, the that was just the introduction okay <laughs> just the introduction so now okay we're going to look at the sign of circumcision in Genesis 17. So in the Old Testament, the Jews had to be circumcised, right? Now, I'm not going to go into the details of what circumcision is, other than the fact that it's a cutting of the flesh, right? That God ordained that everyone, all the Israelites had to do. So in Genesis 17, verse 10 says, This is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. And ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. So everyone was, was required to be circumcised and as a token of the covenant between Abraham and God. Right? And, okay. So in Exodus chapter 4, we can see that there's a serious penalty. God is not happy if they don't follow this, this practice. Right? So Exodus 4. This is an interesting passage here in Exodus chapter 4. Because the Lord tells Moses to do something for him. Right? So the Lord said unto Moses, so in 21, When thou goest to return into Egypt, see that thou do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand, but I will harden his heart that he shall not let the people go. So the Lord is sending Moses to return back to Egypt to do those signs and before Pharaoh, right? Those are the, all the curses that Moses would have done all those different seven different curses that were coming on Pharaoh because they didn't even let them go and verse 22 says and thou shalt say unto Pharaoh thus saith the Lord Israel is my son even my firstborn 
And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. And so now verse 24. And it came to pass by the way in the inn that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. So the Lord just sent Moses on a mission to Egypt. And as soon as he gets to the inn, the Lord wants to kill him. Well, what's that all about? Right? All of a sudden, the Lord is wanting to kill Moses. Right? So in verse 25 it says, Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. Verse 26, So he let him go. Then she said, A bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. So this is sort of a puzzling three verses that are just, seems like they might be just inserted into the chapter because when I read this through recently it's like well how come all of a sudden he's trying to kill Moses Moses is supposed to be doing this important mission and all of a sudden he's being the Lord wants to kill him so I think here it's it, it's even showing us that because it seems to be, be the fact that, that Moses had a son there and they did not circumcise him as they were supposed to Uh, And maybe it was his wife that had some influence there. We don't know. There's not a lot of detail there. So then she angrily did it so that it would appease God, I guess, and then God let them go. So it's showing us the seriousness of not following through on the circumcision that all the Israelites were supposed to do. It's a serious penalty, um, which is we're going to get to... Romans chapter 4 tells us the symbolism behind physical circumcision. There's a symbolism there in Romans chapter 4. Romans 4.11 said about Abraham, And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. So circumcision, the sign of circumcision, was a symbol of the righteousness of God that Abraham received, because it says in verse um, 3, it says, For what saith the, the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So the sign of circumcision was a, a symbol of that, you know, the fact that God's righteousness was imputed to Abraham. So, you know, because and he did, if he didn't follow through, follow through with that sign, it's a serious thing, because God is seeing that as a re, sort of a rejection of His righteousness, because it's a symbol of His righteousness, right? So, I think that's why it's such a it was such a penalty. A serious uh, transgression there that Moses had to fix. Um, so the solution. So the fact of the fact of the matter is, uh, because the the humans are not capable of, you know, you can't keep the law for salvation. And no one's capable of that. The solution that God has come up with to this dead spirit is. Let me go to First Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to get to, there's a physical circumcision, but then when you get saved, there's a spiritual circumcision. 
So 1 Corinthians 15. And that was not on my list of things that happen at salvation, but it's actually one of the most important. Uh, for some churches actually teach this doctrine right after someone gets saved. I've never even heard of it until recently, so uh, that's why I'm preaching it now. And as they say, uh, when you're trying to learn something, the best thing to, to do is to try and teach it to someone else. Uh, that's how you learn. That's how better to learn. So, you know, teaching it to, uh, to you guys is I'm learning even as I'm teaching it to keep it straight in my head as to all these things that can sometimes get confusing. But uh, So in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption, doth corruption inherit incorruption. So flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. If you're fused to a dead spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You must be born again. That's why we have to be born again. Now in Galatians 6, let me go to Galatians 6. Verse 15, Galatians 6, 15. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. So it's a new creature. Uh, it's saying physical circumcision doesn't do any good to you with in Jesus Christ. Physical circumcision does nothing. So it doesn't matter if you're circumcised, uncircumcised. That's not a requirement for salvation. It's not a requirement of the church. You know, the Roman Catholics still practice it. Other churches practice it because they are trusting in their works to get to heaven. And that's one. And that's part of the law. And they're trying to keep the law for salvation. But we believe that it's not. So, and you know, Galatians 6:15 says it doesn't do any, doesn't do anything. Doesn't matter whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised. What's important is the new creature. And now we'll see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So there's something that happens at salvation. You become a new creature. Now, a lot of people use this verse to say that you're going to, once you're saved, you're going to stop sinning. Or, you, you know, that's not true because we still have the flesh. We still have the flesh to overcome. It's not an automatic thing. But you're still a new creature after you get saved. And one of the, the reasons why is because of this spiritual circumcision. Now let me go to Romans chapter 6. Romans 6. Romans 6 verse 6 says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth, henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. So it's saying here, our old man is crucified. When you get saved, your old man, your, your, your flesh, your dead spirit is crucified with Christ. Right? That's the symbol of, of baptism too. Like you're buried with him in baptism and raised to newness of life. Well, that's the symbolism behind baptism as well. 
But our old man is crucified with him. So henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Freed from sin. And John 8.36, you don't have to turn there, says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. So we're freed from from the curse of sin, really, when you're saved. And let's go to Galatians. But we still have the flesh, unfortunately. And you still have to work to overcome that. So uh, Galatians 4, 20? No. I wrote down the wrong verse. Uh, so now I'm going to go to, there's mentions of, of spiritual circumcision in the Old Testament. So let's see, in Deuteronomy chapter 30 is the, first, is the first one. Deuteronomy 30, so this is not just a, uh, something that's only mentioned in the New Testament. There's a few mentions in the Old Testament of this. So Deuteronomy 3, 30 verse 6 says, And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart, and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul that thou might, mayest live. So as God is saying he will. And this is one of the promises to Israel when, if he was going to bring them into the land. He, would, he was planning, he was going to circumcise their hearts so that they, could, they would be capable of keeping the commandments and loving God and all those things that he wanted them to do. And then, so, and then the next mention is Jeremiah chapter 4. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 4 says, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, and take away the foreskins of your heart, ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire, and burn that none can quench it because of the evil of your doings. So this circumcision of the heart was even there in the Old Testament, and it's to avoid his wrath, right? So... Once you're saved, you are indeed circumcised in the heart. And let's go now to Ezekiel 36 for the last mention of that in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 36. Verse 26. Ezekiel 36:26. I'll start in verse 24. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you an heart of flesh. So here is not directly saying circumcision here but it is basically what happens when the spiritual circumcision happens is when you get the new spirit you get uh, a, your born again spirit right so a new spirit you get he will take away the stony heart <clears throat> which is probably you know a mention of man's dead spirit or sort of a reference to how the old man is crucified with him and you get a heart of flesh so and of course we still have the flesh right so I mean a lot of people take that verse and say, well, there you go. If you're saved, then you're going to have all the works because you're going you're gonna to have a new, a new spirit, right? But you still have the old one hanging around there, and that's not going to go away until you die or if uh, the Lord comes home 
So let me go to Romans chapter 2. Romans 2 for uh, verse 28 says, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So, <clears throat> so the circumcision is that of the heart. The outer circumcision doesn't do anything for you. And, and people calling themselves Jews who don't believe on Jesus Christ, well, this verse is saying they're not Jews. We're, people who are born again are the real Jews, according to this verse, because we're spiritually circumcised, and it's spiritual circumcision, just like physical, is a sign that of the righteousness that we have from God. We have his righteousness imputed to us when we're saved. But it's not just... It goes farther than just that. It's not just a metaphor, as like before, you know, you would think of it as a metaphor. But there actually is something that happens at salvation that's more of a physical thing that happens. It says in Colossians 2, Colossians 2, 11 to 13 is, um, is probably the best evidence for this, but... Uh, so Colossians 2.11 says, In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So we're quickened. That, that means you're given a new spirit. Your spirit is made alive. But it says the operation, of the, through the faith of the operation of God, through the spiritual circumcision, with the circumcision made without hands. And, and what that does is puts off the body of the sins of the flesh. So it's saying that before, if you think of it like this, before you're saved, you're like an ice cube tray with, you know, an ice cube tray has a tray and you've got cubes in it, but they're all the cubes are stuck. They're stuck to the inside of the tray. It's the cube can't do anything about that, right? The cube is stuck. It can't go anywhere, right? So that's like man's dead spirit. It's inside your body. The tray is like your body, right? So the spiritual circumcision, God comes along. So God comes along. You need an outside force to come in and make any changes to that. God comes along and he twists the ice tray, right? And then all of a sudden, all the cubes are loose. They're loose. So now they're not connected to the, the tray anymore. They're still in the tray. They're not connected to it anymore. They're not stuck to it anymore. So I think that's, you know, that's... Peter Ruckman used that analogy, and it's a good one. Um, I like that. So it's like it's like that. It's like so God has sort of taken a spiritual like scalpel and went and and disconnected your soul from your body, right? It's sort of like you're not stuck to that body anymore. You're still in the body, but you're not. You've put off the. That's why it says you've put off the old man, right? 
because it's not you're not connected to it anymore and because of that spiritual circumcision operation that's happened uh, let me go look at uh, Romans chapter 8 Romans 8 verse 9 says but ye are not in the flesh but in the spirit if so be that the spirit of God would dwell in you now if any man have not the spirit of Christ he is none of his and if Christ be in you the body is dead because of sin but the spirit is life because of righteousness but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you so we have his spirit in us and it quickens our it quickens us right it quickens our mortal bodies it makes it so that we can like once you're so that when you die your soul can go to heaven and it's not stuck to the dead spirit and it's not stuck going to hell is so the reason for this circumcision you have to be disconnected from that that old man right so the spiritual circumcision has disconnected us from that so that now we can enter heaven and not only that it's sort of uh, in tandem with uh, when you're sealed by the Holy Spirit so when you get the Spirit of God you're sealed so you're spiritually circumcised and sealed by the Holy Spirit so that now you can enter heaven right and the sealing is sort of making sure you're going to stay in your body and not, you know you can still function <laughs> you know as a human I think the sealing has something to do with that too um, and uh, you know the, the, the fact that like it's like an operation it's like heart surgery you're getting when you're saved uh, Jesus is called the great physician by uh, many people uh, so it's sort of a, an apt uh, analogy as to what's happening when you're saved there um, let me go to Hebrews chapter 4 Hebrews 4 verse 12 now this is how it's done this is sort of how is the spiritual circumcision done the quickening uh, Hebrews 4 12 says for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrows and is a discerner of the heart uh, of the thoughts and intents of the heart so the word of God is how we're saved and the word of God is what performs that operation the spiritual circumcision it divides asunder the soul and the spirit so it's talking about this spiritual circumcision where we're being disconnected from our old the old dead spirit that we had in our body and now we get the new spirit we're sealed with the new spirit okay so let me go to second Corinthians chapter 1 2 Corinthians 1, 22, oh, there's no, oh, yeah, there is, 22, yeah. And we're going to see this, um, mentions of being sealed now. So 2 Corinthians 1, 22 says, Who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. So, yeah, so we've got the Spirit, 
and we're sealed by the Spirit. It's not a reversible process. This is not a reversible process, right? Uh, so people think you can lose your salvation. The, the fact that the spiritual circumcision, circumcision, physical circumcision is not reversible and neither is spiritual circumcision. It's a thing that happens that cannot be reversed. So therefore you cannot, because just that alone means you can never lose your salvation because it's, per, it's a permanent process. You're sealed. And um, Ephesians 1.13 says that you're sealed. Let me go to Ephesians 1 again. Ephesians 1.13 says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So until, the, and, and of course in verse 4, in chapter 4, verse 30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed until the day of redemption. Um, so you're, it's permanent, right? 2 Timothy, let me go to 2 Timothy 2. There's a lot of verses in this one, but, um, I, you know, there's a lot of doctrine in, in this. Okay, so 2 Timothy Second Timothy 2.19 says, Nevertheless, so this is talking about people, so in, earlier in the uh, chapter, uh, in verse 13 it says, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. And then down in um, verse 16 it says, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. So in verse 13 it says, even if you stop believing, you're still, he abideth faithful. You're still saved, right? It is an irreversible process. So regardless of what you do, it's permanent, right? And it says in verse 19, and it's even possible for people to overthrow the faith of others, as Hymenaeus and Philetus did. They overthrew the faith of some. In other words, some people stopped believing because of what they were preaching. But nevertheless, verse 19, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. So the Lord knows who who's saved because they have the seal of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, regardless, it says, even if you stop believing, he knows who he knows who's his, right? He knows that. So the seal is, is a permanent, it's permanent, right? But nevertheless, we still have the flesh, right? So, and we, if we go to Romans 7, Romans 7, verses 21 to 25. So in Romans 7, Paul is talking about, let me, uh, about, you know, once you're saved, are you going to sin again? Or like, are you going to still sin? Yeah. And he's saying yes. But uh, starting in verse 14, it says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do, do I not. But what I hate, that do I. 
If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but to how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do, good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Uh, so he's saying that he's still sinning. He can't stop sinning. The flesh, is, it's because of the flesh, he's saying here. And the flesh is continually warring against the body, right? But, now let's, let's see the but here. Now in verse 22 it says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I serve my, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. So here is Paul saying, it's the body that's sinning. It's like, it's like, it's like he can't, you can't stop sinning, right? It's impossible. And a lot of people, and I've pointed out Romans 7 to them a lot, the only, if they believe in a work salvation, the only thing they can say is, oh no, Romans 7, he's talking about before he was saved. He's not talking about present tense. Right? He's not talking about how it is after he's saved. He's talking about how he was before he was saved. But it's all in pre- it's, it's, everything here is in present tense. I am carnal, sold under sin. You know, everything's present tense here. It's not, you can't get around it. It's, he currently was sinning. He currently could not stop sinning, and it's because of the flesh, right? But he's also saying that the inward man, which we ha- now we have an inward man when we're saved. Before we were saved, we didn't have an inward man. We all, all we had was the old man, so you couldn't stop sinning. But the inward man, he's saying that even though the outward man is still sinning, the inward man, he's delighting in the law of God. He's in, inwardly, he wants to do good, but his body won't let him, basically. It's, so there's a thing that happens here. Once you're quickened, once you've got that new spirit, you do have the ability... To resist sin, you have the ability to stop sinning, never, never a hundred percent, but you do have it's a, a, an ability you have that an unsaved person does not have. You have like it's like a you've got a sort of a split personality now. You got the old man and the new man, and the old man is always warring. It's always trying to, and the old man is is stronger in many cases. You can't overcome that, but but it is possible to do that. Uh, Paul is saying he's delighting in the inward God. He, he, in in his mind, he serves the law of God, but the flesh, the law of sin. So the, he wants to do good, but he can't. Is what he's basically saying there. Uh, Ephesians. Let me look at Ephesians two again. Ephesians two one says, "And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins." wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, 
fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and not that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So, yes, we're saved by grace through faith, but God expects us to do something. You know, he expects us to do good works. He, uh, he gave us the ability to do those good works, basically. It's not guaranteed that someone's going to do the works, but it is possible for every saved person to do those works because of the quickening, because of the spiritual circumcision. We're not fused to the flesh anymore. We're not stuck in that flesh. We don't have to submit to the flesh anymore. Um, let me go to uh, Ephesians 4, starting at verse 22. Ephesians 4 says... It, uh, verse 21, If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and, be th and that ye put on the new man which is after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So he's given us the ability to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. But it's not something that happens automatically. But we do have the ability now to do it. And we're it's telling us to, you know, to put off. If, if it's saying you can, it's saying put off the old man. Well, it's, say, it's saying you have the ability to do that. You can choose to put on the new man, which is why you can't get away with the excuse that, oh, the it's the flesh, right? I, I can't control myself. It's the flesh that's sinning. And that's why you still get chastised by God if you, do, if you continue to sin, because it's, you can't use that excuse, because you, he's given you the ability to resist that sin. He's given you, and it says there's no temptation that he would present to you that you are not capable of bearing, right? So he's given us the ability to resist the old man or the you know the sin nature right so before you're saved your body is alive but your spirit is dead after you're saved your body is dead because we're crucified with him your you're we're still walking around here but my flesh is considered dead it's dead it's disconnected from the spirit and your spirit is alive because we have the spirit of god indwelling us right so as it said in romans 6 we're you know so the, our bodies are dead and our spirit is alive because it's not connected to the body anymore. The spiritual circumcision has severed that connection. So now let me just go to Galatians 5, which is why we have verses like this in Galatians 5. And this is advice that an unsaved person can never, can never follow because they don't have the ability to do this. But it says... In verse 16 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. And then it tells you what the works of the flesh are and what the works of the spirit are, so that you can you can know the difference of what if you're walking in the spirit or not. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So if you want to know, am I walking in the spirit? Look to that list of the fruit of the spirit. And if you if you're you're seeing that in your life, then you know you're walking in the spirit. And if you're seeing the other list, the idolatry, you know, uncleanness, fornication, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelation, revelings. So if you're seeing that, it's telling you you're not walking in the spirit. So you should be walking in the spirit. We're supposed to be walking in the spirit, not in the flesh. But even saved people can get into the works of the flesh. Uh, people can get into heresies. It says heresies is the work of the flesh. So that's something that we can overcome. The Spirit of God is supposed to teach us all things, but only if we allow it to, only if we resist this. And you can't. If you're walking in the flesh, you're going to get into heresy is what it's saying there. Um, and let's see, verse, and verse 24 says, And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. So saying we have the ability to overcome all the, the lust of the flesh, basically. And then in verse, and of course, and that matches in with the, the spirit that we have in 1 John chapter 3. I'm going to finish off here with 1 John chapter 3. Verse 9 says, I'll start, in verse, uh, I'll start in verse 6. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whoever, whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. And in 1 Peter it says, We're born of the incorruptible seed of the word of God, and born again of that incorruptible seed. Uh, we have the ability, like our spirit cannot sin. The new spirit cannot sin. The flesh can still sin. So that's why the Bible is telling us all all through the Bible to resist that because he has given us the ability through spiritual circumcision he's given us that ability to resist those works of the flesh and is that it? that's it so that's the doctrine of spiritual circumcision and as you can see it's something that happens at salvation that is not something that can ever be reversed so it really it, it really destroys the idea that you could ever lose your salvation so I'm going to just end that there